0: <laughs>
1: That's right. It was Curious George, and then let's compare that with Goodnight Gorilla.
0: <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to Center Ed Teaching. We are glad to have you here with us. Uh, last week, we discussed high stakes and standardized testing and the impact it has on students. So this week, we kind of want to wrap up talking about assessment, but talking about what assessment looks like in the classroom, and how that impacts your practice and how it impacts students. Um, So for this conversation, I'm joined by my indomitable colleagues, uh, Roberta. Hello. Brian. Hey, y'all. And Christina. Welcome back. (laughs) Is back to help us with this conversation and add um, a new perspective. So to frame this conversation, the first thing that we want to talk about are the different types of assessments that teachers can be thinking about. And the first one that I think most often comes to mind is the summative assessments. This is what you do at the end of a unit. Maybe it's a project, maybe it's an essay, maybe it's a lab. Um, This can take many forms, but usually is to determine what's been learned at the end of a long period of time, usually a unit. We're not really going to discuss um, that as part of the podcast today because in some ways the standardized tests that we talked about last week are summative assessments and we don't want to belabor the point. Um, Instead, we're going to focus on... Um, two other types of assessment, formative underse- uh, assessments, and then check for understandings under that. So for the formative assessment, we're going to talk about the archetype of a really um, genuine and powerful formative assessment and how you can use that in your practice, and then get into the more of the minutiae for check for understanding what those look like um, and how you respond to those. Um, However, we would be remiss to not also push you to think about the role of diagnostic assessments in your classroom, and so instead of thinking of an assessment as um, an endpoint or a checkpoint, um, kind of a starting line to see where students um, are beginning and how you need to tailor your instruction at the beginning. Once again, we're not going to talk about that um, today because we won't have the time, but we do want to push teachers to start thinking about that, and our overall push for thinking about assessment. Um, as a lever of moving learning as opposed to the end of a supposed achievement. Um, so the first thing that we want to talk about with the assessment is kind of setting up your classroom to be successful for using assessments to move learning forward. And so the first thing that we think is essential to that is a learning classroom culture. Mm-hmm. So Brian, um, can you talk a little bit about what that looks like, how you cultivate that? Um, I. As as is often the case, I try to talk to students in
2: terms of um, uh, analogy and metaphor, and um. I I'll I'll ask them gauge their interest in whatever thing that they that they like, um, and then if a student says I I I like painting, um, I'll ask them how do you know if your painting is any good. Um, If they're interested in basketball, how do you know if you're um, a good basketball player? And that question of how do you know um, Mm -hmm. is one that um, I would constantly bring up with students, Um, especially if a student said a thing to me like, oh, I got this. Um, I, I, I understand, you know, how Istanbul, you know, or how Constantinople fell and became renamed as Istanbul. Um, and I'll ask them, how do, you, how do you know that you know that? Um, or, uh, I know I'm a good writer. Well, how do you know you're a good writer? So that cu- question about how do you know is a, is a very important one to that, that I just constantly model and constantly ask and, um, and just put out there all the time, every day, as often as I could, to say that if we're not making sure um, that we know stuff, um, know the stuff that we're meant to know, then we're kind of spinning our
0: tires here. Mm. So it sounds like what you're talking about is you cultivate this culture as kids evaluating their own learning as markers of how they're progressing as opposed to this is oh, something that we're going to do in two weeks. It's a daily practice that we're evaluating our learning.
2: Absolutely. And it's not just a self-assessment, but also peer assessment. Mm-hmm. So that we, the the culture is such that um, we're constantly looking at each other's work. We're constantly giving each other feedback. We're constantly supporting each other um, as we continue to develop the skills and acquire the knowledge that we need to have. So, um, the conversation isn't just about the the subject matter or the skills, but about the, the sort of the work that we're doing. It's a it's a metacognitive conversation.
0: So I think something that also goes into making a quality like learning classroom culture is actually having assessments that uh, give you generative data and allow you to respond to Um, and also that students feel comfortable with. So, when Roberta, when you go to make an assessment for your class, what makes a good assessment and how do you make it work?
1: I think the first thing I want to think about, Matt, is about whether or not it's a formative assessment Or if I like what's the purpose? What is it that I'm trying to assess? And for me, assessment isn't so much what does my <laughs> test look like, but rather what information do I want to know? So if I have these goals, I have these objectives that my students, you know, you're if you're a teacher, your classic swabot, right? Your students will be able to, right? So if my swabat <laughs> is is around be able to write a paragraph, then I need to understand what goes into writing a paragraph, and how will I know whether or not my students have met that goal? How will I know if they've met that objective? And that's what helps me to define what my assessment is going to be. So, in you know, your original question, Matt, was about how do, how do you design, you know, what do, what's the criteria that you set up for the assessment? And I think the first thing we have to do is figure out which kind of assessment do I want to set up. <laughs> then, we can say, okay, now, what criteria will I use to evaluate whether or not students are meeting, uh, exceeding, or falling below my expectations on this assessment? And when we're talking about more formal types, whether that's a formative or a written check for understanding or a, you know, a more formal assignment, um, then my favorite way to talk about explicit criteria is definitely with rubrics mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. designing a rubric. Um, no assessment is objective. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a lot of test designers will quibble with that. Sorry. But no, there's no such thing as an objective assessment. But what you can have are subjective assessments that are very transparent about what their values are. Mm -hmm. So whatever my assessment is going to be, if I have an assessment about this paragraph, then my values are that like you need to write good paragraphs. And my opinion is that good paragraphs consist of quality, criteria A, criteria B, and criteria C in this way. Um, So rubrics allow me to really articulate what my values are and what my expectations are when it comes to what that assessment might look like that's the first thing that I would try to do is to start saying for myself, these are the expectations that I have on this task, mm-hmm. and um, just describing them as closely, as carefully and as detailed as I can.
0: Um, so, moving from kind of the creation of this assessment where you've been incredibly explicit with what students are to do, you've communicated to it, and then you've set up some kind of rubric or grading system for yourself to grade on that criteria... Your assessment's not done, right? Because if we're creating this learning classroom culture where things are constantly changing and you're consciously responding to students, then your assessments have to be dynamic and ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brian, Christine, I'd love to hear from both you. How does this look in like a middle and secondary uh, venue, and how does this maybe look in an elementary venue? Um,
3: I mean, I think what your, your point that they're ongoing is is... Incredibly important, I think, and that's really where formative assessment is located for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that you are constantly, especially as an elementary school teacher, um, assessing your students, checking in, seeing how they're doing. And I think that even when a summative assessment is used, let's say after a unit of study, like those, that that those skills or those um, objectives that were a part of that unit need to be assessed. Continually, right, Mm -hmm. even into the next unit, right? And so how are the units building on one another, right? How are your assessments building on one another? So you're coming back and circling back to um, the skills that were addressed in an earlier unit, right? So we're now thinking about this transference of skills, Mm -hmm. right? And we're not just isolating them in individual units, but we're thinking bigger picture, Mm -hmm. right? So I loved um, Roberta's mention of like the backwards planning model. I mean, I think that that's that's huge. Um, And even starting to, to go bigger than just a unit or a particular skill, but now thinking about the whole year, Mm -hmm. right? And where are the skills that I really want students to walk away from, say, Mm -hmm. third grade, fourth grade, Mm -hmm. um, and how can I constantly build in ways to kind of monitor Mm -hmm. um, students' learning um, over the course of of these units, um, I think is huge. And even even just with an individual lesson, too, I think, too, is important to talk about, right? Like, using a backwards planning model even in what I want students to be able to walk away with at the end of that lesson.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's so important though to, to think about like the backwards design for sure. and mm-hmm. I love the idea of this long term planning and thinking all the way through my lessons. But mm-hmm. one of the myths of, of sort of curriculum and assessment is that sort of like once I design that plan, then that's what it right. is, and that's what and it's I not use, malleable. right? Yeah. And and I, I, you know, people when I was in the classroom would, and I'm a little snarky, so they would be like, oh, what do you teach? And I would say, students. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea that our assessments should be dynamic in such a way that they're changing with our students, and I'm not trying to say like every single student needs their own individual task every single year. We definitely can think about grouping, but but to the extent that. It's helpful to recognize that the class that I have this year is a little bit different than the class Mm -hmm. that I have next year, and our world is a little bit different this year than it was last year, than it's going to be next year. So... We need to be thinking about our assessments not as these sort of fixed, Mm -hmm. concrete entities that, you know, that's how I've always done it. This is the test that I always give regardless of what has been taught or regardless of who the kids are in front of me. They need to be dynamic in that they're changing and shifting and I'm making those changes strategically based on the kids that I have in front of me.
0: Yeah, Brian, I know you have some thoughts about this, how um, your assessments can kind of be gathering of information Mm -hmm. as opposed to Grades in a grade book. I don't know if you want to speak to that sure. A bit. Yeah,
2: the the constantly, constantly, teachers need to be gathering information mm-hmm. um, uh, from their students about um, you know what what skills students um, have mastered, what skills they need to continue to practice, what skills are ready to be introduced, and the same with content. Um, and, uh, for me and, and, for, for, for most teachers, this, this is an iterative process. Um, you know, one of the guiding principles we have here at CPET, um, we <laughs> call it a, a cycle of inquiry. Uh, the idea being that, um, uh, as we gather information from students, we use that information in order to make better instructional decisions. And then once we've made those instructional choices, and then we've, taught the things that we intended to teach, we then gather more information from right. students and then right. we turn it right back around and we apply it to our next set of instructional choices. So it's an iterative process. It's constantly, constantly uh, reinforcing itself. Um, and, uh, and I think the importance of this is called out even in the Danielson framework for, for teaching in um, uh, Trait 3D Is using assessment to inform instruction. Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I do this for a living. (laughs) Um, But uh, the idea is that um, unless your assessment is then, and the information that you gather from the assessment, assessment then goes to inform future instructional choices, it's kind of just a question of assigning grades as opposed to gathering information that will help you Right. Help students learn more right. and better. I feel and, like
1: yeah. I feel like it's. Uh, we always say you know, assessment drives instruction, mm-hmm. and so that that lends itself well to the metaphor of of instruction or curriculum as a map. Mm-hmm. we talk about curriculum maps, and so mm, right. your the journey is you know f- this physical journey that you might take on a road trip or something mm-hmm. like that, right? And mm-hmm. and the assessment those are these benchmarks of these places that we need to hit along along the road to get from point a to point b by the end of the year or to the, from the beginning of mm-hmm. the journey to the end of the journey but when we're talking about assessment is about is about gathering think about that gps right and you're mm-hmm. looking here's my gps and it's giving me, me, me the directions and all of a sudden it tells me oh there's been a big accident you know you can stay on this road but you have a 30 minute delay or you can get off at this exit and go around it and you're like well Okay, <laughs> I'll just sit here. I mean, I think that that's the same thing as to, as giving an assignment and then not and then getting that information about how your kids are doing, and not making any changes to your instruction about that. We when we get new information, we want to use that information yeah. in a in a dynamic way to respond mm-hmm. to those needs. Just like when your yeah. GPS tells you that there's been an accident and there's a huge delay, but there's a faster route. You follow the faster route. You use that information to change your plan mm-hmm. so that you can get to your destination on time.
3: I think that word, um, it was... I couldn't get it earlier, but as you were talking, um, I think that the word responsive mm-hmm. is really important, yeah. right? That it's responsive to the culture of the classroom, that it's responsive to individual students, it's responsive to the larger group of students, um, and that it's, it's genuine, right, to what's going on in the classroom rather than... I think there's... I can't remember exactly who said it, but I was reading an article um, when I had been putting together a workshop or a PowerPoint on assessment. Mm -hmm. And he explained that there are kind of like three types of formative assessments. Uh, There's the ones on the fly that -hmm. you have to just literally come up with. Mm Uh, in the moment, as a lesson is either going well or not so well, <laughs> right. um, there's the ones that are planned that I say, okay, no, like, you know, at the end of this lesson, I this is the assessment that I'm going to give, or this week, this is the assessment right. that I'm going to give, so it's like the planned for interaction, or they're the ones that are curriculum embedded. So if I'm using a particular curriculum, you know, it's telling me that after week two, I need to do a check-in or a quiz or a, you know, small writing activity, um, and that those three different buckets really kind of help or can be helpful in terms of thinking about how I'm formatively, formatively assessing my students.
0: Yeah, I just want to add some practical um, maybe advice in this from an experience that I had when I first started teaching. Um, my students were reading Chinua Achebe's... Um, oh, God, now I'm forgetting the Things, title. Fall, Things apart. fall Apart. Things <laughs> Fall Apart, thank you. <laughs> you wow. said they the name so beautifully, but you couldn't get the title. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, sorry. And uh, the assessment that we were doing at the end was writing a research paper on colonization. Mm. And so I had assessments lined up, right, to help my students Mm -hmm. get from one place to the next. And so we start out doing research, and my assessment is that students are gonna turn in the articles that they've selected, and I'm going to look to see what kind of sources are we pulling from. Mm-hmm. Um, so that goes, or that first assessment happens, and Wikipedia is all over the place. So that says to me, okay, we need mm-hmm. to talk about yep. vetting sources, finding quality yep. sources. Yep. So then we do that.
1: Delay ahead, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> turn right, <Should> to avoid delays. <laughs> um,
0: and then so, in this next iteration, students get works from Karl Marx on okay. colonization. As you and do. sure. Yeah, and these other great philosophers. And so now, okay, well, that's a credible source, but now I have a problem of ninth grade students being able to access Marx. Yeah. Mm. So now I have to think about my teaching. So now are we trying to Reach at ninth grade level, you know, sophomore and college level texts, or does this mean that we have to think about our research being fine tuned more to find credible sources and credible sources that are in, you know, that student's reading range? So that leads to another iteration of here's a task and here's the assessment.
1: Bing bing And, so,
0: <laughs> and so that assessment wasn't as much. Can you shut the up? GPS off? <laughs>
1: Go ahead. Go
0: ahead. <laughs> and so that assessment ended up being not as much, just for students, but also for me as a teacher to kind of figure out one what needs to be taught, and mm-hmm. two like how to meet that pr- two pr- students' particular needs. And so when I think about dynamic, ongoing assessment, those are the kind of changes in assessment assessment that I think we have in mind. Um, but can I just
3: ask you a question about sure. that? Matt? Because I think that
0: obviously that's a really good example of kind of
3: what we were just talking about responsive Mm -hmm. right instruction and that we're we're using the the data or the Mm -hmm. information that's in front of us to make decisions but I was just curious if you could speak especially because I know you always push us to be practical (laughs) um like what were some of the ways that you were able to determine Mm. that students needed that right like yeah how were you actually assessing and figuring out that that's kind of what was going on.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So going back to what we had talked about earlier about explicit (laughs) criteria, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think what I learned in my first assessment for students collecting sources was my criteria was not explicit enough. So the next time around, I said, okay, your source needs to be from uh, something that's been peer-reviewed, from um, a .edu -hmm. uh, website, from um, an academic journal, or... um, a magazine of repute, right? Okay. And so that, like, would have been my criteria. And so as students turned that in, I had a check mark like, did that source that you put there meet that standard? If it didn't, then it was an next for the student to go back. Right. Um, so it was a relatively quick check. I mean, it did, you know, with... 90 to 100 students probably did take um, 45 minutes to an hour of my time. Mm -hmm. But time that was well spent had I let students go all the way and write their essay with uh, Wikipedia as their main source
1: such a good example of go slow to go fast yeah Yeah. and that if we really take the time to teach all of these explicit skills then we don't kids don't have to work we don't have to worry about remembering them later they know them Mm -hmm. that's ingrained in them so that that Mm -hmm. taking that time to to stop and know that it's going to make a better long-term paper in the end it is time consuming though
2: yeah um i think
1: another version of that you know it takes about forty-five minutes for you to check through. Did everybody have uh, reliable sources? We can add a metacognitive moment there by having the kids switch papers mm-hmm. and check each other's and sort of see. Oh, did I? Did my? You know, did did Matt do it? Did Matt checks Roberta's? And then I get that back, and mm-hmm. you know, one more day to fix any sources that I have. Mm-hmm. That could probably cut cut. It takes yeah. a day longer to teach it, mm-hmm. but it cuts down on my grading time or my feedback time you know probably in half and increases students understanding of what they're supposed to do how they're supposed to do it and sort of that critical uh, metacognitive moment
2: and it it either teaches or it reinforces that culture of collaboration Mm. right Mm -hmm. we're all in this together we're all learning together we're all we all have minds that can be useful to each other Mm -hmm. so let's help each other out here
0: yeah. yeah. And I do just want to touch on that last point to what we had talked about at the beginning with this being learned or uh, a learning classroom culture and being or assessments being information gathering. There wasn't necessarily a grade attached to this portion, right? right? So it was thinking like yeah. are we moving forward on this then later on there would be assessments with the grades, but I was scaffolding the learning for students. So something I think just to contextualize within this classroom that we're envisioning here as we sit around a table
1: (laughs) well and matt the other thing that you talk about in in doing this is that you are scaffolding each of the assessments so they're Mm -hmm. going towards a long-term assessment right right? you're in a longer term project but each day Mm -hmm. each day there's something that we're working on each Mm -hmm. day there's something that there's a new skill that they're doing even when they're working on a Mm long-term assignment and i know as a new teacher you know, I would have my lesson plan for three days was like, work on project. And you know, kids would come in and I would say, work on your project. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. then, you know, the bell would ring 45 minutes later, and they would leave. And I was like, tomorrow, we'll keep working on your project. And it took me a long time to recognize that all of my projects were taking much longer, and they mm-hmm. were of a low quality, and that's because I wasn't giving enough scaffolded support or enough guidance around those more micro skills. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that um, previously, but sort of invisible things that I take for granted, you know, as an adult, but that the kids actually have to learn explicitly at some point. So yeah, your you know your example here kind of gives us a vision of what those things look like.
3: And and I think also what's important, um, going back to the roadmap analogy, is that we want. It's that tension between not having sort of overly prescribed Mm -hmm. assessments, um, versus having checkpoints Mm -hmm. along the way to check yourself as the teacher, but also check the students to Mm -hmm. see how they're progressing towards that end goal, um, is. Is important right like we want to make space or, or have space so that they are more authentic assessments so to speak but um, while at the same time being very mindful from the beginning of like okay where do I need to make sure that I'm checking in because very easily the time gets away from us um, as the learning is happening and as we're getting caught up in planning and just you know dealing with large groups of students so I think that finding that balance um, is really important and it sounded like just going back to your example that you started to realize, okay, what are those big, Mm -hmm. what's the the big skill of research, and then what are the micro skills that I might want to just build in some more formal checkpoints to ensure that my students are headed in the right direction.
0: Yeah, and I'm trying to look for the scholar's name, but there's a professor from the University of Michigan who talks about this diagnostic kind of like assessment form and using that as response as um, analogous to video games Mm -hmm. and why kids love video games. And this idea that um, when you struggle in a video game, right, like you die at a particular level, you don't go all the way back to the beginning. You start from that last mm. checkpoint. Right. And so you have this struggle to learn, but you're not always feeling like you're failing in some right. way because you're always building on what you know. And I think, I for I'll, and I'll put a, a link to um, his work in the show notes if people are interested in reading this, but... For me, it's a really generative way to think about yeah. uh, learning and pushing students based on what they already know and creating this culture of success in the classroom. Well,
2: it's also a great, like, uh, it's it's student-accessible language and yeah. interest, and yeah. to talk to students about, like, listen, you have to learn how to f- find good sources, and that gets you level one, but <laughs> yeah. once you get to that, then
0: you need to level up to level two, yeah. which is finding the best information yeah. to win the boss battle against your research paper. <laughs> That's bigger. right. Yeah. Which, I, yeah, I would love to read that. Um and I think one thing that connects to what we've already talked about is um having assessments where students can demonstrate the transference of knowledge right. because oftentimes we'll read a, a short story with students and we'll say okay this is how we understand the story what do you think the theme is and the class will work together to come uh, excuse me to come to some kind of understanding and then the next assessment is for the students to regurgitate that understanding. Mm-hmm. When you want to think about, okay, so I've had the assessment where we've done that, but now my next assessment assessment should see how can students do this on their own, yeah. right? And then that creates that kind of cycle of inquiry where you mm-hmm. go back mm-hmm. to your di- or your assessments that have been ongoing and you see what changes yep. need to be made. Mm-hmm. And then I think the final piece to this is the metacognition that you really want to push for, and so I guess this is a question for everyone. Um, how can you evaluate metacognition with formative and um, check for understandings with students? and how does that change your practice? Yeah,
1: well, metacognition think in terms of thinking about my thinking, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And So we really want students to have a sense of how they're understanding what they're learning. And if they don't have a sense of how they're understanding what they're learning, chances are the learning is really only happening in sort of an inch deep. Um, I remember doing uh, reading conferences with ninth graders who were in a struggling reading class, and we would sit in the doorway of my classroom sort of knee-to-knee in these little chairs, And I would ask the student to take their independent reading book and they would just read to me about a half a page, a paragraph or about a half a page or so of their text. And they would read aloud and I would listen. And I would just make some notations um, based on the uh, mistakes that they were making or the misreadings or errors that they were making in their reading. And one student, I remember, just kept omitting all of these words, just skipping right over them as if they didn't even exist. And when the student finished, I asked him, um, how did that go for you and uh, oh it went great oh do you like the book oh yeah I like it a lot oh were there any words on the page that you don't know no I know them all okay and then I would point to some of the words that he omitted do you, what, what's this word what's this word what's this word and it wasn't it wasn't like negative it wasn't you know like spotlight tailor, on him interrogation yeah, gotcha. you know mm-hmm. it was a nice sort of friendly conversation but I saw the student had this like aha moment like oh, I didn't even see that word I didn't I I don't know what that one is. I don't know what that one is either. And all of a sudden this sort of awareness came over him in recognizing that he read half the page and skipped over 10 or 12 words and did not even see them. Mm. And to me that was a moment. That was a big aha moment for me where I realized like, "Oh, we're so used to covering over what we don't know and understand that we don't know how much we know <laughs> or don't know." Right. As kids and kids get they become really expert at that. Mm-hmm. So it became very important then for me with that student to talk about like slowing down and paying attention to what we know and what we don't know. Um, But then that also became a metaphor for my own classroom to think through how am am I helping my students to be present in their own learning experience and how am I helping that to be their responsibility? a lot of the grading and assessing, the bulk of that responsibility falls onto the teacher. Mm-hmm. But the more of responsibility I take for monitoring my students' learning, the less responsibility there is for them to take. Mm-hmm. So having this be a shared experience yeah. where not only am I assessing how far I think they've come, but I want to actually engage my students to make sure that they can also express themselves.
3: Now, I was just going to chime in there. I think that reflection is just such an important word. Mm-hmm. And for both the teacher and the student, and making sure that we're carving out, um, and I say carving because it needs mm-hmm. to be like, <laughs> I am carving this out, and I am preserving it, and I'm making sure that it's... Because it's often one of the first things to go. Exactly, yeah. right. And so having them thinking, thinking about their process yeah. as well, right? Like, what did I just learn, and also how did I learn it, yeah. um, I think becomes... What um, strategies it, did I use? Right, because that's where you're starting to build the transference um, or at least the potential for transference so that they can say yes I learned this this is how I learned it and now I can apply it somewhere else the internalization I think is is more likely when they're able to do that and then reflect on the process and and think it out talk it out write it out more
0: yeah I think what you and Roberta are saying kind of go hand in hand I feel like Roberta was getting at this idea that it's part of this learning culture Uh that you cultivate this in your classroom that students aren't used to thinking about how they think Uh or what they think about how they think. So you make that part of the classroom. And I think you're, Christina, you're really pushing for, you know, as a teacher, this means I'm carving out time for this Uh specific thing to Uh do this. And Uh and I think that's really helpful. (laughs) That's also really difficult Uh to do. Uh And I think a lot of the conversation that we've been having today kind of has skirted over that difficulty. So I think it might be good for us to think about you know, taking this head on. What does what makes making quality assessment, using quality assessments, communicating with students so difficult? Time,
1: time, 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 time. Yeah, and I think I think
0: I can speak to as
3: as an elementary school teacher that we, whereas we have to teach all the subjects and that can be very difficult. We do have the same students with us the whole day. So, it makes it a little bit easier to stay on top of, you know, conference notes, for mm, example, true. or to give students feedback because if I miss them in the morning, I can hit them in the afternoon, or, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of a thing. Whereas I think at the high school and the middle school level, you could have, you know, 75 to 100 students a day, or more, or more. Yep. Um, and that becomes really overwhelming. And I know that a lot of times when I talk about giving feedback, and making sure that you're assessing all of your students with middle and high school teachers, that's always one of the first things that they say. How do I do that with 100 students in a day?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, what are our proposed solutions, though? I mean, because that is something that's incredibly difficult to do, and something that's difficult to do on a weekly basis let uh-huh. alone a daily basis.
1: Yeah, I think... Finding routines that work for you, that you can teach your kids are really valuable. So I mentioned this reading class that I taught for a few years. And part of that course was students really doing a lot of independent reading. But instead of, and I wanted my students to be metacognitive and reflective of their reading, and they were reading silently, so that's really hard to assess, right? Like, Mm -hmm. how can you tell if a student is actually reading, or if they're looking at a page and occasionally turning it, right? right? And so I needed to find a way that I could create a positive, but also a structure around this independent reading time, Mm -hmm. and some sort of assessment that would help them to be present and would help me to Monitor that it actually was happening and mm-hmm. therefore was a good use of our time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But rather than having my 60 or 80 students um, submit a reflection of their reading every single day, which would have given me, you know, let's say I had 50, I had more, but let's say because mm-hmm. math, um, if I had 50 kids a day and I taught two classes, that would be 100 pieces of paper, mm-hmm. uh, 500 pieces of paper a week that I would need to sort of touch and look at, mm-hmm. read over. Um, and then assess and enter into my grade book. That's completely overwhelming and a a surefire way to (laughs) get me to abandon the practice a few weeks in. Um, I tried notebooks for a while, kids writing in their notebook, but then Mm -hmm. I was shackled to my desk uh, a couple times a month reading through tons and tons of notebooks, and that was very overwhelming too because I couldn't haul them home uh, because they're very heavy. But also, they need to be looked at. So the solution that I came up with that I really ended up liking a lot was a one-page chart that said Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I set up a routine for their reflection, so they had two questions that they had to answer every day. And then at the end of the week, they did a week-long reflection. I tried to build in personal responsibility, so they got it at the beginning of the week, and they had to keep it in their notebook. Um, if they lost it, they could get a new one, but they would have to rewrite all their entries. And basically, I would collect it on Friday because all the reflections were on one page. I only had to look at one piece of paper yeah. that yeah. represented all five days for each kid, which cut my grading down by you know from 500 pieces to 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to look at all of the entries at the same time, sort of in one glance, which also cut down a lot of the time that it took me to evaluate. Um, I gave them. A bulk point like bulk points for all of the reading but it covered the whole week so I was still able to generate sort of the grades that I needed and give kids the credit that they deserved um, but to do it in a much faster time with fewer pieces of paper um, and those are the kinds of systems that I felt were really helpful to me as a teacher uh, then what I would do is as I saw that the kids were getting much better at those two questions, then I would change the question. So at first I just asked for summaries. Yeah. Then later I asked them to interpret characters. Then later I would ask them to, um, you know, reflect on their reading experience. So we got deeper and deeper and deeper into the lessons.
0: Um. So there's actually an amazing blog post um, on the <laughs> New Teacher Network um, Who blog. Really? <laughs> Yeah, this is genius. Um, so we'll put the link to that in the show notes. But some of the quick points that I would offer and are developed more fully in that blog um, is thinking about using group work mm-hmm. yeah. and heterogeneous yep. groups to leverage um, higher-achieving students with lower-performing students um, to kind of bridge those gaps because they can some ways do it in a more personal way than you can, and that allows you to give more generative feedback um, when you get students' individual feedback. The other thing is thinking about how can I set up my classroom so that I'm providing grading and feedback while students are in class. Oftentimes when teachers start talking about assessment and formative assessment, they start thinking, okay, what's my exit ticket? And that exit ticket means that you get what is quote unquote the student's learning at at the very end of class, mm-hmm. so you can't respond to it. So how am I setting up independent and mm-hmm. group work so that I can methodically yep. go around to my groups, to my individual students, and track student yep. learning? Yep. And one of the other things that I think makes this really helpful and time-efficient is if I'm looking for students' ability to use our new vocabulary words in a short story that they're creating to, to build their uh, out their vocabulary, have them underline. The vocabulary words Mm -hmm. so that your eyes know right where to look Mm -hmm. and just little tricks like that Mm -hmm. I think can cut on time um getting to all students um this also (laughs) kind of feeds into thinking about how you find time for feedback and giving timely feedback yeah um and so I think what I've said before addresses that a little bit but I think also thinking about larger scales teachers often don't think about their own lives And, hey, I might have this thing that I have to do Tuesday after school. Um, Thursday, hey, I might have to go to the doctor's office because I haven't been in five years because (laughs) I care so much about my students. Um, And so saying, okay, here's my life schedule. How do I figure out when I'm going to grade assignments at home? So if I have events Tuesdays and Fridays, then I'm going to set up my class so that Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I have that extra time to do grading. Um, And the same thing goes with thinking about larger formative assessments where you might have students writing a one-page response. Okay, when am I going to have time to grade this? Let me assign this when it can happen so then I can give it to students within two days.
3: I was just going to say I think that for me it goes back to the checkpoint conversation, mm-hmm. right? And so that it's it's about thinking thinking about a particular unit or a particular macro skill. And then I used to have conversations um, with my students as well about, like, how much do you need from me, mm-hmm. right, in order for you to feel successful or, like, mm-hmm. for you to be successful? And so thinking about building in, like, when are going to be sort of those – um more formal checkpoints, like are they gonna be three over the course of this unit, or mm-hmm. oh no, this unit is particularly challenging, so maybe we need a few more. And like I found it very helpful and very sort of comforting to know mm-hmm. that, okay, I'm holding myself accountable for this weekend is gonna be, you know, long.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Next weekend I'll you know, I'm freed up a little I'll bit be more. A person. Right. And yeah, so yeah. like building that in and preparing ahead of time to know where my heavier lifts are going to be. Um while at the same time giving students enough, or or what I recognize as enough feedback.
1: So I wanna be really strategically thinking about, and Christine, I love how you talk about these checkpoint moments Mm -hmm. through my lessons, what are the things that my students really need to understand, and how can I intervene in those mm-hmm. moments in the middle of the lesson, early on in the lesson, to give all of my students that opportunity to level up towards success? So, that by the time they get to that final assessment, it's a breeze for them and it's a breeze for me because all I'm basically doing then is like, check, 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 right. you got it. Right.
3: <laughs> I was also going to say, too, I think when I first started teaching, I and I would read over my students' work, I was like, totally committed to reading widely and giving all kinds of feedback and marking, all because I really wanted to make sure that my students knew that I was reading their work and that I was giving them enough feedback for them to succeed. And I think quickly I learned that that is just not doable. Um, And so perhaps um, thinking about what you're going to focus on specifically each time that you are reading, for example, so that you don't have to read for everything, right? You're reading for specific micro skills or specific strategies that you've been teaching to see, and not as as simple as a checklist, because you want to give them mm-hmm. a little bit more, but that you're at least um, focusing your energy into one area rather than all of them.
0: Yeah, I actually only have a slight addendum to that, and, you know, I, I wouldn't want any students to know that I do this, but <laughs> one way that I think about assessments is when I have a major assessment at the beginning. Uh-huh. I dedicate myself to every single word, and I absolutely pull it apart because it does two things. Mm -hmm. It sets a culture that I am reading what you are writing, and so you need to make that as the highest uh, caliber or quality that you can. But two, it also gives me insight, okay, what are the things that I need to work on Mm -hmm. based on what my students have done? That way, throughout the rest yeah. of the year, I can target my grading <laughs> because I know I have all these things that I'm going to need to touch mm-hmm. upon. Um, and then maybe after we've wit- written three essays, I'll go all in again right. on the fourth one right. because now there's going to be new generative data, but it's pacing myself and saving myself um, so that I can be effective in that. Yeah, And I think students really buy in because they get that feedback. And so I think as we're talking about responding to assessments... Um, Brian, I'd like to turn to you because it's hard to know maybe sometimes how we actually should respond to these assessments because a lot of teachers will say, well, I just made this and I have this now. I, I, I don't know what to do. So how can teachers kind of clarify this in their own minds and then in their practice? Um, well, I'd like to make a pitch for um, rubrics, um,
2: <laughs> and I know that uh, a lot of people really uh, dislike the the even the word rubric at this point mm-hmm. um, because uh, we've been we've been bludgeoned with it. It feels like at this point, but um, rubrics I think serve a number of very valuable uses. Um, not the least of which is as Roberta talked earlier about um, the, the explicit design of assessment tasks rubrics really help us articulate what is it that I'm actually trying to assess here. Because when Mm -hmm. you get into that essay grading and there's just, you know, misspellings everywhere, it's easy to get lost in the misspellings and then Mm -hmm. not notice the quality of the student's thesis statement is what you're actually looking to find out. So in terms of uh, determining the rubric traits that you're going to be looking for, the actual um, uh, bits of skill or knowledge that students need to demonstrate some, some mastery of, it helps you stay focused on those few things. And the other thing is the rubric as a communication tool. I -hmm. I have a a teacher I've worked with uh, for a few years now, and um, his practice is just wonderful. He takes the rubric, and he's got um, uh, multicolored highlighters. Um, and what he'll do is, in the rubric on the document itself, he'll highlight the particular statement of quality, Mm -hmm. right? Student attempts to make a counterclaim, Mm -hmm. Um, and so he'll highlight that in orange, and then he'll go find the spot on the paper in orange where he saw it and highlight it. So right away, without having to do any writing of his own, or have any conferencing of his own, students can immediately see like, "Oh, I didn't do so great here. Where in the paper did he see that evidence? And that crosswalk is immediately apparent right. to, to students. Um, and so right there is, a, is an opportunity, and, and other teachers will will circle or do yeah. other annotation strategies, but using the rubric not just as a tool for focusing um, your attention as a, as a reader, um, and keeping you uh, on task and on time with it, but also using that rubric document as a communication tool for the students, um, they can just very, very clearly see, I did this in my work product, and that is assessed like that, one to one correspondence. It's
1: so beautiful, too, because it also can give students agency. So if they can find a place where, no, I really did mm-hmm. make a counterclaim and not just attempt to, yeah. here it is, Mr. Rubric Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, then that provides a lot of ownership, responsibility, and agency on the behalf of the student. That's just grounding them more Mm -hmm. in that culture for learning. Yeah,
2: and then also this is an exercise that you, I think, hinted at a bit, Matt, which was um, having students do that articulation themselves Mm -hmm. in self-assessment process. Here is my thesis statement. I think it meets this level of quality on the rubric. Put the highlighters in their hands. Have Mm -hmm. them submit a Mm -hmm. marked-up, assessed, Um, paper to you and then see if your assessment jives with the students and then you can have a norming conversation about, you think you are performing at this level, I think you're performing at this level, why might we disagree Mm -hmm. on that and now we're getting back into the metacognitive. Mm -hmm. So using the rubric as an actual communication tool I think is an extremely valuable and time-saving
0: system. Yeah, I think that's really well put. Uh, Christina, I know you had some thoughts on this as well. I was just
3: going to say for... um, the elementary kids, I think that yes, rubrics are definitely um, a really wonderful, wonderful tool. I think sometimes at the younger, with the younger kids, they need something that's slightly more simplistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we oftentimes turned in again for students to self-assess. Mm-hmm. We would turn it turn a rubric into a checklist for mm-hmm. them. Uh, and I also just found that like student samples were really, mm-hmm. really helpful um, for students to do some of the the self-assessment like comparing right like what does this piece have how does my piece different what do i like about this piece how can i incorporate that into my own Um, was a really helpful tool for them as well Um, and i think that good models uh, with a range with Mm -hmm. a range of levels was a really helpful way for students to assess themselves um, and assess one another
0: yeah, and I think actually what you both are saying that might be kind of radical for teachers to think about is that the responding to the assessment is not just solely on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, responding to the assessment is creating a dialogue. Right. Within your classroom, where you're saying this is what we're saying is our standard. Why is it? Why are we not there? Why are we there? Why mm-hmm. are we above that? And I, I think that's incredibly helpful. So, we are now <laughs> getting low on time. So. Um, just are there okay. any final thoughts from anyone um, regarding assessments and thinking about that in the classroom? Yeah, I just this this idea that um,
2: uh, <laughs> this idea that teachers need to listen to their students mm-hmm. um, and listen to them in uh, uh, through the tasks that students are completing. Listen to them in conversations that are happening in the in the classroom. Um, and just continue to gather as much information as possible and then put that information to good instructional use. And then the, also the, the idea of, of the fact that the, it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a dialogue. As we listen to our students, we need to speak with them as well um, and then let that let us gather information from each other. It's a two-way street, and um, this, is, this is the only way to, to keep this all going forward. That was so
3: articulate. <laughs> Um, I think, and this is obviously going to be for probably the next podcast that you do, Matt, but (laughs) I think what's super important for me, too, is that it's not just about gathering the information, because, I I mean, that's obviously incredibly important, but it's also now what are we doing with it. Mm. Um, That always has me thinking about assessment as well, right? So I have all this wonderful information. I have all of these... um, you know, notes and observations and learning logs and and but now it's like, okay, what do I what do I do with this information, right? Both as a teacher, um, and as a student. So I think that making sure that we're thinking about the now what, right? Of our sort of like tried and true protocol that we love at CPET, right? The what, the so what, now what, right? Like, what are we doing now that we have this information? How am I adapting? How am I modifying? How am I changing um, potentially my instruction so that it is meeting the needs? of my students, and that I'm not just going like, okay, I figured that out, okay, great, moving on, let's keep pushing past, you know, we gotta hit our goal, we gotta hit our goal, which I completely appreciate is, is real, um, and as teachers, we, we feel pressure to keep going um, and to push through our curriculum, but making sure, again, from using my carving out space, um, they're able to think really um, honestly about, you know, what this data is telling you and, and how you're gonna address it is, is really important
1: for me i i just i i feel like the information is power uh-huh. right and i wouldn't get behind the wheel of my car on a road trip with a blindfold on or without any sense of where i was going or how i was going to get there and that's that we need to be insistent uh-huh. i think on how important assessment is and on the separation between assessment and grading and that assessment is about a powerful tool that we can use to get information about our students and then use that information to guide the learning process and that to use assessments i'm not trying to be like oh no grades and it's it's you know <laughs> i grade students are, want grades too yeah, right. yeah. And, and i'm not a, i'm not anti grading uh, I think that greeting for kids is like money for adults in your job, like credit where credit is due. I don't yeah. want to work for free, and they don't need to work for free either. You want to feel validated. That's right. Mm-hmm. But assessment is not about that. Right. right? Assessment is about gaining this information, and, and as teachers we should be insistent that everything that we do in the classroom gives us information, and if it's not giving me information or it's not giving me enough information, then I need to really look at my practice. And I need to be able to sort of find and seek out resources so that I can deepen my understanding of what it is that I want them to know and be able to do so I can recognize it when I see it and um, identify wh- why it might be missing when I don't. Mm-hmm. And and I think that to to not have that expectation is just making our jobs harder, right? right? It, yeah. makes, it makes, it's harder for me when I don't know where my kids are. Yeah. How's that for articulate?
0: Way better. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: I think for me, so much of it goes back to the culture. I think you have to establish with your students from the beginning of the year that your classroom is a place of learning, mm-hmm. not a place of saying who knows what and who doesn't know so what, right? It's all about progress and growth and assessments are um, a part of that and when students feel that your feedback that you're grading is a response to them to help them grow yeah. and not a condemnation of the work that they've yeah. done your classroom operates so much better you see significantly more growth and it, it's just a better place to work and so mm-hmm. I think really thinking mm-hmm. about how do I cultivate this culture in my classroom is the most important thing yeah um not as articulate as youtube but um that brings us what what's yes. the weird look what? okay okay
3: okay i was i was incredibly articulate right. i was
0: that oh, sorry yeah i guess you just, just didn't take credit for can it. Somebody,
1: where's the rubric <laughs>
0: um so thank you again for tuning in and make sure to check out um, our show notes which you can get from our website at cpet.tc.columbia.edu And make sure to like or review or subscribe. Um, Yeah, please leave reviews.
1: Yeah. How are we doing?
0: (laughs) We would like your rubric um, of of our podcasts. It would be a great (laughs) assessment,
1: a formative assessment, so that we can get information on what we could do differently.
0: All right. Well, from Brian, Christina, Roberta, and myself, thank you so much for being with us, and goodbye.
1: Bye. Bye.